Welcome to the Global Franchise Podcast, intimate conversations with some of the most exciting decision makers in the world of franchising to help you and your business adapt to unprecedented change in our industry. I'm Kieran McLoon, Deputy Editor for Global Franchise Magazine. While the height of COVID-19 may have passed in many countries, the impact that the worldwide pandemic has had on the franchise industry is ever-present. Legislation and relief packages concerning SMEs are helpful, but businesses are still looking for guidance and support when it comes to staying afloat, especially as brands begin to reopen their doors to a cautious market. That's where the International Franchise Association comes in. Helmed by President and CEO Robert Crisanti, the organisation has been a pillar of support for the franchise community at large for decades now. Originally founded in 1960, the IFA helps with advocacy as much as it does education, and Robert's expertise in government relations have been invaluable in recent times, especially since March of this year, when the President signed the CARES Act into effect. This episode, we'll be talking to Robert about all of the work that the IFA has been doing in recent months, uh, as well as what the franchise industry could look like in a post-COVID world. Hiya, Robert. How are you doing today? I'm great, Kieran. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you very much for uh, for coming on the podcast. It's um, yeah, it's really great that we we're able to chat to you, especially in the world at the minute and the franchising world specifically is in such a, an uncertain position. Um, I suppose if we could start, would you be able to kind of give me an idea of what led you to joining the IFA um, back in 2014 and how your previous experience at, I believe it was SAP America Inc., uh, prepared you for the work you'd be now undertaking as the CA- CEO of the IFA? It's fascinating. The uh, triggering, I think, interest uh, for joining the International Franchise Association was its previous CEO, uh, who was an incredible uh, advocate for this industry mm. and uh, passionate about everything that he touched, uh, and <clears throat> so his uh, his enthusiasm and passion um, for high quality advocacy uh, was uh, was really the thing that sold me. Uh, I wasn't looking for a job. Uh, I uh, I spoke uh, with him and uh, was recruited in, and it was uh, it was wonderful. It's been a wonderful experience. Save for the COVID experience, which has been incredibly challenging. I'm, I'm sure every one of your listeners will agree uh, that uh, they have had the same experience. Sure. I am um, thinking a tax lawyer, Kieran, by, by training. So I have a lot of technology background, almost no background in, in franchising, always been interested in, in business. Uh, but I have to tell you, and I've said it many times from the stage, that if I had known about franchising in my youth, I would have uh, switched into this career track because it's just that exciting. Yeah. And uh, I read that your your previous role was uh, vice president of corporate affairs and government relations. And was there any kind of things you picked up along the way in that position that have helped you, especially now when you have been working so closely with the American government to... Um, to help the franchising industry through this? Sure. Uh, for SAP internally, I, I think one of the most important lessons is how large corporations work uh, with regard to uh, their funding exercises and how they uh, engage in policy issues uh, to make sure that their businesses are as smooth and unobstructed as they can possibly be. And uh, it was uh, it was good to uh, get some insight into the mind of uh, my members. That was the first large corporation I'd worked for uh, like that. And 
Uh, I had been in a number of trade associations before and had a long uh, career in government previous to this. Sure. Um, and if we could talk a little about the current, I guess, uh, approach that the American government has had to COVID-19. I mentioned up top that President Trump signed the CARES Act back in March, uh, I think it was 27th of this year. And that was obviously a large step towards some kind of recovery. Um, how do you think overall the government's response to COVID-19 with at least you know regards to businesses' best interests has been? I, I just can't say enough about uh, all of the uh, uh, complaints and uh, naysayers uh, that are out there. I can't say enough about the attention that the government has paid to small business and to small and medium-sized enterprises. Um, uh, they, like we, have uh, not always gotten it perfectly right, uh, but I can tell you that they are uh, quick at learning and recovering, and uh, it's just been an exemplary um, experience in my lifetime with government um, making decisions with a speed at which they have never worked before and making adjustments when those decisions have not worked in the way that they anticipated them to work. It is uh, just rare uh, to see these kinds of things, Karen, and, and I, was, I was surprised, very pleasantly surprised. Um, I was in a meeting with 14 of my CEOs uh, of national and international name brand companies uh, with Secretary Mnuchin on Tuesday, and we had a, uh, a long conversation, and uh, uh, Secretary Mnuchin uh, rightly pointed out that certainly this must be a matter of first impression for anyone who's handled this mm. in the position of a Secretary of Treasury or anywhere uh, else in the, in the government beyond on the healthcare side. No one uh, has really been around for the stopping of a full economic cycle and the restarting of it. Um, of their own, um, you know, volition. And so that has been extremely challenging. And I, I just couldn't give them higher grades from the administration to Congress, uh, to the state and local entities who are all trying to do the right thing. Uh, there's, there's a lot of goodwill. And that's really what moved legislation forward in an environment in which legislation was flowing almost not at all. Yeah, no, it's, uh, as you say, it's a completely unprecedented time, but it's really great to hear uh, how positively you view that response. Um, I I saw back at the start of the pandemic that your position was that small businesses needed immediate relief. And obviously, you know, you think that the government has uh, has provided that in part, but there are, other, are there certain areas at all that you think there's still more work that needs to be done? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, <laughs> Congress has done a tremendous job of acting quickly and uh, effectively. Uh, but there certainly has a lot more, um, there are a lot more things to be done. Unanticipated, um, you know, uh, uh, reactions to legislation, um, you know, rules and processes and agencies that have been in place for uh, decades, uh, if not longer, and uh, where they are very slow to move off of those processes. And we have to point them to uh, specific uh, uh, changes that have gone forward in the legislation that we articulated and asked for. Um, I think uh, going forward, businesses need to in, uh, get increased liquidity. And uh, we also are looking for liability protections. Uh, one of the um, really severe challenges that the United States faces 
that is less so in many other uh, uh, franchised economies on a global level is we have a high level of trial lawyer activity in the United States. Uh, so, um, so, so far we've had uh, almost 4,000 COVID related lawsuits fighted, uh, filed in the United States alone. This number is going to increase as those cases be, be, uh, become what we call here syndicated. In other words, uh, you just remove the name of one defendant and uh, replace it uh, with another on a computer screen and you allege a broad series of violations and then you file the lawsuit over and over and over mm. again against different companies. So, um, you know, we, we fundamentally believe, and we said to Secretary Mnuchin when we met with him, uh, that businesses who follow the appropriate guidelines need temporary and limited liability shields uh, to ensure that their efforts aren't hampered by unfounded lawsuits. It is going to be difficult enough for a business to open, and in some cases where there are hotspots, uh, have to close and reopen again uh, without also being uh, attacked. Uh, from a uh, from a legal perspective, I'm not saying shield um, shield businesses, small businesses that are behaving irresponsibly, but rather people who are following uh, to the best of their ability the government guidelines and uh, who have uh, who've you know observed the rules about uh, wearing masks and so forth. Yeah, no, I know that's currently quite a fierce debate. Um, the whole idea of litigation and reopening businesses, and I know that you guys are very, you know, closely involved. You've been drafting a bill that protects franchisees against these unfounded lawsuits. But um, I also read that Democrats, you know, you've got people like Nancy Pelosi and other labor groups that say that such protections could prevent workers from combating bad practices. And you've said there that, you know, that that obviously is something you guys are considering when you move forward with this. Um, Are you at all, are you reaching out or speaking to franchisees as well as franchisors of a larger network to understand, you know, their perspective on this? Yeah. Our our franchisees have, uh, they're part of a group called FAN, the Franchise Action Network. Um, and that group has, has uh, in this uh, uh, crisis and in the last year, um, issued hundreds of thousands of letters to legislators, policymakers, be they state, local, or federal, uh, regarding some of those issues, Kieran. And so, you know, and the other issue that I was mentioning, frankly, is, um, you know, we have, uh, we have an incredible need from the franchisee perspective on liquidity, as you know, mm. uh, you know, with uh, many businesses closed or only partially open. At one point in the U.S., our membership reported back to us that we had 74% of all franchises that were closed. And uh, businesses uh, need help in in making payroll if we're going to keep people employed. That's the way the United States decided to go, as opposed to going through purely the unemployment um, system. They decided to have uh, provide money for um, workers to stay employed in their current Positions, even when those stores were only functioning at a very small uh, margin or um, at a very small rate. Um, and then, you know, additional tax credits of, that we're looking for that are going to be directed at the hard hit business models that are, uh, are particularly critical. So, um, you know, we, we got a response back that 97% of all of our uh, franchise systems that requested funding from the federal government uh, got uh, funding through the PPP loan program. We uh, specifically targeted franchise businesses that were in the uh, hotel and restaurant business uh, because we wanted to make sure that those, uh, they're called uh, uh, NAICS codes, 
uh, were uh, appropriately covered because we knew that those people would be hit very hard. And so, um, you know, I think fundamentally we're making uh, we're making good progress there. But back to uh, uh, <clears throat> you know your question uh, regarding the, the liability, I think uh, there's there's an opportunity to do something here, um, uh, and uh, that's a, that's a positive uh, step. Uh, the one challenge that still remains out there that's significant, Kieran, is uh, our uh, unemployment system that was put into place relative to COVID offered an additional $600 a week um, uh, bonus to uh, certain uh, to, to employees uh, while they were unemployed. So if you went to the unemployment uh, roles, uh, rather than staying with your employer, the $600 a week ends up being very significant for some employees some of them making two times and three times uh, more money than they were making working part-time in a location um, if they are under uh, um, the unemployment um, system that's been established now that is ending at the end of this month um, but uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of resistance uh, I, every single franchisee i've spoken to so far that is still open uh, and is operating their business is looking to hire, and they're having a very difficult time recruiting people to come back into their jobs uh, that they previously held. Some they've lost to other competition uh, in the meantime, but others um, are unwilling to come back because the, the uh, benefits are just so great at this point. Yeah. Um, well, no, it sounds like, you know, you, you're providing a lot of support in what is a very, uh, a very tricky landscape at the minute, which is really great to hear. Um, you'd mentioned there the, the paycheck protection program loans, the PPP loans. I, I saw that the IFA has been really, you know, obviously backing those because they are very supportive for the franchise industry, but was, was very instrumental, um, in ensuring that not only franchisors benefited from that funding, but franchisees specifically, um, could you sort of go in depth a little bit about why these PPP loans are so essential, um, and the kind of advice, the kind of advice rather that the IFA provided uh, to the government to then support the franchise industry? Thank you. Yes, um, it, it's it gets complicated very quickly, but on a on a larger level, under the CARES Act, individual owners of franchise businesses uh, can apply for PPP loans. Um, and there's a waiver, uh, under the rules that we put in place, there's an, a waiver of what we call an affiliate rule for the, for franchisees. IFA, uh, su- uh, successfully secured that, uh, provision, which allows for independently owned and operated franchises to apply for PPP loans without that specific designation, these independently owned franchisee, uh, businesses, uh, who operate under the same uh, affiliated brand would not have been eligible since uh, only one business in the franchise system could apply, and it was it was somewhat <laughs> it was somewhat convoluted, and a, and it would have been a perverse result. Uh, but my my conversation with policymakers at the time was: we have a chance to succeed at scale or a chance to fail at scale. Right. So okay. let's let's, uh, let's be very cautious about how we write this. Mm. And so was what I made the sort of an earlier reference to is that that was a, a, in, in regard to some of the types of businesses that operate in the franchise construct 
there were some that were previously ineligible and there was a long and hard um, line that had been drawn where, where um, uh, government regulators had, had uh, fought for decades over where this line should be um, and uh, that, that excluded certain franchise systems and, and uh, included other certain franchise systems in eligibility uh, for lending and loans that had government backing or assistance. So large brands, as you might imagine, some of the largest in the world, they, they are, their franchisees are usually so well capitalized that they uh, re received credit on the regular markets. But some of the smaller and uh, uh, you know, budding brands that were just beginning to grow, they were having real challenges and uh, they would have uh, been excluded. So we fought very hard for those franchisees to be allowed to uh, uh, to get access to those loans. And uh, uh, it, it sort of makes me smile to think about it. Uh, it is, uh, Kieran, it's that proverbial tree falls in a forest because uh, I think the, the thousands of franchisees that are out there that had access to these loans had no idea that, mm. that the other end of the or sat IFA working with these, uh, with these government, uh, folks to make sure, um, that, uh, that the access was, uh, was open to them. And the PPP loans were really a lifeline for all of those businesses, particularly after Congress changed the rules to tune them up. Uh, they allowed for businesses to retain employees and to make pay payroll and IFA uh, held more than 70 different webinars. Uh, on best practices for business, they're still on our website, and we had scores of telephone town hall meetings uh, with uh, to connect franchise owners with their own elected officials to discuss the PPP loans and other issues that they were having with regard to reopening. Uh, and these have been hugely important uh, for franchisees and and our entire advocacy system. So it was. Uh, I I am I am so deeply proud of my entire team from the business development side to the, the government relations side, we really, really dug in, uh, in a time where, um, there's just, uh, you know, the wind has gone completely out of the sails and had gone completely out of the sails for so many of our systems. And then you see so many Kieran still struggling, you know, the hotel occupancy rates in the United States <clears throat> are still abysmal. And, uh, for, you know, for these companies to dig themselves back out, they're going to the, we're going to have to get back to some sense of normalcy. That hasn't happened. Yeah, no, it's it's strange, isn't it? How, as you say, the things behind the scenes are almost some of the biggest and most important um, advocacy work that the IFA has been doing, at least. But this is the kind of thing that certain brands just wouldn't be aware of at all, which is, is, is uh, yeah, it's just a strange uh, state of the world at the minute. Uh, I suppose there's a, a lot of things going on. But in terms of behind the scenes work, I also um, saw that the IFA, among a lot of your advocacy work, was urging for a fix to uh, coin shortages for SMEs. That was like a big thing that was impacting a lot of small businesses. Um, are there any other kind of behind the scenes, perhaps lesser known ways that the the IFA is advocating for franchising? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we did was we we reached out to our, you know, we have uh, thousands of advocates registered on our uh, on our fan system. So we reached out to sort of inventory relationships with members of Congress and local uh, elected officials. We were worried about, um, you know, some restaurants were given uh, the ability to open um, uh, so that they could support the truck drivers and the food that was being delivered throughout the United States. 
and the uh, materials, um, uh, other other folks like that. And we use those, uh, you know, uh, the auto parts uh, franchise business uh, <clears throat> that we're doing repair and parts uh, for automobiles. Worked with the state governments to have those businesses declared as essential. Um, you know, our team has uh, day still to this day has daily meetings uh, with leaders in the federal and state governments. Um, you know, we had um, <clears throat> we had uh, literally outreach at every level and activation at every level. Um, it it was I have to I can't lie, Kieran. Though it was extraordinarily difficult to get people whose businesses and distress and free fall to lift their head up and advocate for themselves in front of policymakers and decision makers. Um, so that has been <clears throat> that has been a um, uh, has been a real challenge for us. But we've we've made strong headway there. And then you know I guess the last thing that would fall into that unusual category certainly for me it is the president uh, uh, appointed me uh, to a task force on reopening the U.S. economy. And the section that I was on, uh, that I was involved in, was the restaurant and hospitality uh, uh, group. Mm. And we've had uh, meetings with the president where we had an opportunity to speak and talk about how we uh, face the challenges that are there for reopening the economy. Um, and that has given the franchise community a voice that is disproportionate to many others that that were not appointed to this task force. You know, there are hundreds of of uh, very capable. Uh, associations in Washington D.C., and uh, we were uh, very favored to uh, to get a, to get a voice. So much so that a number of other trade association CEOs uh, reached out to me and asked me to slip in some of their policy objectives <laughs> right, <okay>. on behalf. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It's great to hear that um, that franchising is being represented at the White House. You know, firsthand by yourself. That's obviously something that's probably very reassuring to these businesses that are still in jeopardy and still in, still in turmoil at the minute. And um, yeah, it's a bit of a shining light, I suppose, for them, which is nice. Yeah, um, I saw as well. Looking ahead and talking about reopening the economy, the uh, the IFA released a, a franchise reopening blueprint in which you all um, you advise best practices for how several of these key U.S. industries could return from this lengthy, lengthy period of lockdown. Um, sort of off the back of that, do you believe that the the franchising community um, can make a complete recovery? back to how it, it was before or do you think that the the franchising world of 2021 will be almost unrecognizable with what everybody was used to in a pre-covid world it's uh boy I, I, that's a, the million dollar question kieran but i i think the answer is uh that uh things will be uh will be very different and they'll be the same uh all at the same time the uh adjustments have been made uh people who didn't have takeout windows previously or had very slow going takeout windows now have takeout windows uh, where uh, business is is just flying through uh, the the takeout windows as people move um, you know uh, to a place where uh, they are more comfortable uh, grabbing uh, food and taking it out um, and less comfortable sitting in beautiful uh, appointed uh, environments where they get a chance to spend significant time with one another. Um, uh, I think at some point we will, um, hit a phase of normalcy again. Uh, but I think that, look, there's no better system, uh, that's out there, uh, that is able to, uh, scale that wall and 
uh, and make this recovery than franchising. Uh, the franchise business model is uh, so diverse and it's so broad and its opportunities are so promising that uh, franchising is absolutely going to recover. Um, the, the, the question is, is it uniform or is it sporadic? And of course, I, the answer is it is going to be uh, different for each of the segments. We have 300 different business segments that we count among IFA's membership. And, uh, you know, uh, some businesses like uh, elder care uh, and critical care have been open all throughout and uh, they've taken a little bit of a hit, but they have generally um, uh, held strong. Um, other businesses uh, like trampoline parks uh, and entertainment venues along those lines <clears throat> have been extraordinarily hard hit and uh, have been closed. And some are uh, the state of Illinois is insistent. Uh, at this point still, despite the fact that we're working with them, um, that um, trampoline parks cannot be reopened again until climbing walls cannot be reopened again until uh, a vaccine uh, has been put into place. So um, there are real, um, you know, there are real impediments in some sectors. And I think also, Kieran, that in the United States, there was a lot, there are a lot of restaurants and a lot of different types of concepts. And one of the ramifications of this is going to be uh, that we are going to lose a lot of businesses, despite the federal government's help, despite everything else that uh, goes on. Uh, there is a, uh, there is a strong sense in the industry uh, that franchised businesses as well as regular mom and pop businesses that are uh, independent um, are, uh, you know, under extraordinary financial pressure, and some some businesses that just opened, um, uh, and you know had six months of operations and then were hit with something like this, um, you know, getting them to reopen again and and you know climb that wall again is going to be extraordinarily difficult. It would be true if they were not a franchise or if they were a franchise. Um, just incredibly challenging. Other businesses have been around in a long time and they, a long time, 20, 30 years, they were once in a really good area for that type of business. And now the location has become less good. And, uh, you know, the, it's been a, a marginal business for a time. And now, uh, you know, this, uh, is, you know, this economic disturbance is enough to, uh, uh, create enough challenge for that business to probably close. For those people that come out on the other side of this, I think there's going to be tremendous opportunity uh, because there will be less uh, people in almost every space, less businesses in almost every space that are uh, that are um, competing. And franchising is exceptionally good at serving a lot of customers really well, exactly what they want. So uh, I think we are uh, we're set to have a strong recovery in 2021. So much is dependent on uh, vaccine and, and uh, hotspots, but otherwise, uh, I think you'll see overall the business model will hold true. Yeah, no, it's it's great to hear. I mean, it's as you say, it's a very, it's still a long way to go, and it's not an easy journey. But um, it's good that there is a an eventual light at the end of the tunnel that, for that, for those that do make it through. Hearing that, I'm, so, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that that uh, reopening blueprint that we pulled together. And speaking with the uh, the different CEOs from the different brands was incredible. Mm. Um, it was absolutely incredible because you could hear from uh, intake of 
that the amount of thought these franchise systems, if I had, if I were a small business owner and I were making hamburgers and hot dogs somewhere, or if I were, you know, uh, dog sitting or dog grooming somewhere, <clears throat> the amount of thought that went in from these franchise systems that benefits the franchisees to handling exactly these kinds of things is unbelievable. Everything from, you know, what happens at the back when the loading dock comes in and they bring in the shampoo for the haircutting salon, uh, you know, <clears throat> how's that handled? Where are the gloves? Uh, what places require masks? The, the level of detail, uh, the, 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 co the cooperation between our brands was fascinating to me, where uh, uh, companies like Jana King and others, um, uh, you know, began working together with um, uh, other facilities, restaurants, hotels that are also franchise systems so that they could uh, co-brand uh, the, uh, the cleanliness of the facility that it had been cleaned professionally with um, you know, uh, the, the right cleaning fluids and, and materials to actually destroy the virus, not to make the room smell better. Um, so uh, these, these were all things that were fascinating. And that blueprint, if you've not, I think it is globally applicable. If, and you, I know you have a global audience. Um, if you get a chance to look at that blueprint, um, there are, there are click throughs in there of all different kinds that will uh, lead you to new ideas and thinking about um, ways to help your customers and to give them confidence in your business um, that uh, other um, systems uh, you know, may not have. So uh, I would I would highly recommend that for, for people's review. Yeah, no, I did. I did get a chance to actually look through the blueprint. And it is, as you say, it's a very comprehensive document that covers not only um, you know, the businesses you might expect like food and beverage and other, you know, fitness, um, services, but it, it covers literally every kind of business industry you could imagine in a lot of detail. Um, and I'm not, obviously I'm not a franchisor, but it, it was just, it was good to see, I suppose that there is this pathway out of this, even if it might be a, a tricky road, um, to walk down. But do you think sort of the final thing I would speak with you about, Robert, um, if we could end on, I suppose, a bit more positivity than uh, yeah. the global catastrophe we're currently, <laughs> currently in. Um, do you think that down the road when the franchising world does reach some more le level of stability, that overall the uh, businesses will see an uptick in franchisees and franchise recruitment because there's a lot of perhaps entrepreneurial individuals now who have unfortunately been laid off from their current company who are maybe looking for a new career or want to own their own business do you think that will then boost the franchising world yes you know i, I in fact we consistently call uh franchising serial entrepreneurship right so <clears throat> uh we saw the same thing during the last recession uh, franchise ownership increased as people left their corporate jobs uh, or as their corporate jobs were eliminated uh, in large part to utilize the skills that they had learned uh, in managing people and processes, and finances and accounting, et cetera, uh, and uh, you know to uh, create corporate, uh, you know, to create these new types of uh, positions for themselves where they get to follow their own uh, lead um, uh, and to, uh, to to own their own small business. Um, the financial crisis in two thousand eight. Uh, resulted in growth uh, in employment in the franchise sector by 7.4% from uh, 2009 to 2012. 
in the United States. And while the total U.S. employment rate during that time increased only 1.8%. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see that happening again. There are a large number of opportunities uh, that are going to be opening up. And I think in the United States in particular, um, the concept of owning your own business um, and utilizing the training that you've had in your uh, career thus far um, is uh, is a uh, you know, is sort of ingrained in the American personality. So I, uh, I expect here in particular, uh, we'll see, we'll see a strong rebound. Yeah. And do you think, sorry, just a secondary little question off the back of that. Yeah. Do you think that now is a good time as much as franchises are, you know, focusing on consolidating their current networking, making sure that everything is still um, afloat. Do you think now then is quite a good time to perfect the system so that when these new investors are coming into the industry, you know, brands really are representing the best version of themselves they can be. So they're attracting the best talent they can. I know that, uh, I know that, uh, uh, franchisees, uh, inquiring franchisees, uh, I'm sure the same is true for you. Every question I get, uh, the question that I get most often is, uh, which uh, which franchise brand should I buy? Which franchise brand is the most successful, going to be the most successful for me? I get that question multiple times a week as sure. people are so interested in what, uh, what they're doing. I think the ones that will bear out, uh, Kieran, are the ones that have been the most agile. People are going to want to, the people who are investing are going to want to hear, <clears throat> is this, uh, if another COVID type, uh, you know, and with the danger of fighting the last war. But if another COVID type incident happens, is your business able to uh, be resilient to something like that? What steps have you taken and what have you, and how did you emerge from this process? I just, I I've seen uh, such innovation, Kieran, that franchisors and franchisees working together have produced <clears throat> where uh, they've literally rolled, um, you know, they had an eat in restaurant and they literally rolled, a, um, a trailer into their parking lot and uh, uh, took the front parking spaces and started cooking food in the trailer and handing it out through the window because they didn't have a drive-through window previously. Mm. And so, uh, you know, you, you see someone who is that um, agile and, uh, and, and you know that those are brands that, you want to be a part of as you're looking, you know, as you're looking to uh, lay your investment down and invest your time, energy, and effort uh, in these uh, in these hard times. But uh, I, I think that franchising is well suited for it. Uh, I, I think now is as good a time as there has ever been to own your own business, and uh, you're certainly uh, seeing brands that have made adjustments uh, that are out there. Yeah, no, it sounds really great. It's it's uh, yeah, it's tricky times at the minute, but it is it's an exciting road ahead um, beyond COVID. It sounds like, which is good, and I'm sure the IFA will continue to um, provide all the support and advocacy that it can to make that road as I suppose seamless um, <laughs> or as as easy to tread as possible. Um, so thanks very much for your time today, Robert. It's been really great talking with you. Very my my genuine heartfelt thanks to you and your audience. Uh, uh, I, I love your podcast and uh, look forward to listening. To episodes thank you sir that's great to hear thanks very much 
Robert's confidence in the franchise industry should act as a, a beacon of light to businesses that have felt lost in the dark for months now. And the advocacy work that the IFA has been doing sounds like it will continue to fight in the corner of both franchisors and franchisees. While these are unquestionably um, difficult times for everybody, having the backing of one of the most influential and experienced franchise associations in the world is definitely reassuring. Yes, there is still more work to be done when it comes to supporting specific sectors like hospitality and hotels, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. We'd be interested to hear from you on this. Have you felt supported throughout the COVID-19 crisis? And how will this year affect the future direction of your business? Make sure to let us know. If you like the podcast, subscribe and recommend it to your friends and colleagues. Or even better, leave a review or a simple rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your pods. To keep up to date with franchise news and have it put into context by the global franchise experts, subscribe to the magazine, hit us up at globalfranchisemagazine.com and follow us on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn today.